You have questions. You say, why did he call me his rock? You ask, am I the foundation? Is this where his church will be built? There is only one foundation stone, and his name is Jesus Christ. And his church is not here. It's not in those tents or these walls. It's you, all of you. You are his church. And like those, we ask to believe, even though they didn't see him rise again. We must push away our fear even as we recognize the persecution we face. We have to go to Jerusalem and preach the word to build his church. Um, in that video, the, the man who was standing up, if you haven't been watching, that, he's the character that plays Peter, the Apostle Peter. And he makes a statement about, you know, building the church on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but he said, in spite of the persecution that we're facing. Um, persecution is a very real thing with regards to believers. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to know that... Followers of Christ have always been persecuted to a greater or a lesser degree. That persecution, um, maybe some of you have experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe even this last week you've experienced it. But that persecution can be anything from heavy violence, like we're seeing in certain parts of the world today where brothers and sisters are laying down their lives for their faith in Christ, or it can be uh, maybe what we would call more lighter duty kinds of persecution, perhaps a lack of promotion at work. You know, you're passed over because of your faith in Christ. Maybe you're demeaned because of your faith in Christ. It could be your neighbors who won't talk with you because they know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ or being rejected. At, at school, that happens because you're not in the in crowd. You're not doing some of the things the in crowd does because of your faith in Christ. And these things are very real and they can be very tough. All, all levels of that, whether we're talking violence or rejection. Carrie and I certainly have experienced that in our lives. In fact, as pastors, it's, it's interesting when we move into an area... Well, like this is, uh, Life Church is the third church that we have been senior pastors of, lead pastors of. And uh, so whenever we've moved into uh, an area as, as the pastor, the neighbors, you know, they want to, you get to know your neighbors. Oh, invariably they ask you, and what do you do? And depending on the neighborhood, I want to sometimes say social work, <laughs> you know. I'm a counselor. I help counsel a lot of people, but I don't ever do that. I always tell them the full truth, and I say, I'm a pastor of a church. And it's always interesting to see the look on their face. It's kind of like if you were a cop and you say, I'm a policeman. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if we want a policeman living in the neighborhood, you know. The same thing is true uh, with pastors. We get a variety of responses, and we have experienced heavy rejection for a period of time from people who put up walls as soon as they find out that I'm a pastor that carries is a pastor's wife uh, they're 
right at first, they're resistant to that. They, they reject it. They push it away. I've had people won't look at me in the face. And, and they drive, some of our neighbors, you know, sometimes they'll drive by. They won't wave. They won't honk, you know. And I don't let them get away with it. I just jump right out in the middle of the road. and I, Hey, I'm here, you know. Hi. Um, so whatever it takes you know but after you're there for a while the the walls start coming down but at first the walls can be real and rejection can be tough when you feel that heavily being rejected is one form of persecution it's light duty persecution but it hurts nonetheless we might call it more opposition than persecution But whether we're talking about opposition, whether we're talking about persecution, it can come in many different forms and in many different ways. A couple of weeks ago, of course, last Sunday was Mother's Day, and Carrie did a marvelous job of sharing God's Word last Sunday on Mother's Day. And and I had some of you come up to me and say, you need to have her preach more often. And I said, okay, back off. I did not appreciate that one bit. So I am back up here today. I don't know if we like it or not. Um, so we have to go back to a couple of weeks ago when I talked about, uh, about, about the AD series. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, we were on the subject of persecution even there. Then how to handle persecution, how to handle opposition to your faith should come. And from the lives of the disciples, the apostles, and so forth, from the scripture text that we used at that time, I gave you four what I thought were, were key thoughts to dealing with a persecution should come your way. Let me just review it real quickly. I told you, you've got to hold tightly to the truth. Uh, We saw that in the apostles, how they held to the truth, even though the Jewish leaders tried to distort the truth, they wouldn't let that happen. And they held tightly to truth. Truth will give you strength to overcome when you're being opposed or persecuted, rejected, whatever. Number two, I talked to you about holding tightly to your relationship with Jesus. It's vital that what we do here on Sundays and what you do daily is not just a religious thing. It's a relationship thing that you're building a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's a vital part of your everyday. Number three, you will overcome if you hold tightly to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've got to have him working in you, through you. Then fourthly, I talked about holding tightly to obedience to the word of God. Following what God's word says, regardless of what pop culture says, okay? These were, the, the, that's how you have to, to set the, the values of your life. And these are some of the steps I gave you that will help you overcome during times of persecution. It's what the early apostles did. Since I shared that message two weeks ago, I have, I have thought uh, uh, I should have added a fifth, but it would have made the message too long. But anyway, I should have added a fifth, and so I'll add it today. And I'll just give it to you real quickly. Hold tightly to the fellowship of believers. Hold tightly to other believers, to people of Christian faith. You, you, you've got to get past just coming to a service, staring at the back of somebody's head, getting up and leaving, you know, and then considering that good enough. You've got to move into covenant relationship with people. And you may never know everyone, and we're not even asking you to know everyone, but you do need to know some. 
whether it's getting involved in small group ministry, coming on Wednesday nights, a great opportunity in the smaller classes to get to know people, to talk with people. What I'm saying is you need to build relationship with people. And the reason for that is you're going to hit sometimes, whether it's just crisis in your personal life, like a health issue or a financial issue or something, or whether it's out and out persecution, you're going to need the support of brothers and sisters in the Lord. So you've got to get in with God's people. So don't be the last one here, the first one out. Hang around. That's why we built this extended area out over here. There's actually going to be furniture out there eventually. But we want you to fellowship with one another. We want to give you a place where you can meet together and connect with one another and build relationship. And so these are the things that are very, very important. These are five suggestions then that I would give to you about how to handle persecution in uh, your life if it should come. But we're not done with the subject just yet. I kind of wish we were. It would be nice if persecution hit against Peter and John. If you remember two weeks ago, uh, the Jewish leaders arrested Peter and John, threw them in prison, and so forth. It'd be nice if that ended all the persecution, but it didn't. It continued on. In fact, last Sunday night in the video, in the movie, it was focusing on heavy persecution that was coming out, was breaking out in a very violent way against God's people. When we talked about it last time, as I said, we, we talked about the Jewish leaders um, arresting Peter and John and saying, don't you dare preach or teach in the name of Jesus again. They didn't do anything other than arrest them. And then Peter says to them, uh, we're going to be a God rather than man. That didn't sit well with them. They did let them go. But all it did was intensify the anger of Jewish leadership, uh, the Jewish culture against the early church. And so here they are now right back in trouble with the Jewish high council. Acts chapter 6 tells us that even Stephen, who was not an apostle, he was a lay leader within the church, what we might call in today's terms a, a deacon, part of the, the leadership team of the, of the early church. Stephen was arrested because God was using him so powerfully. This is what the Word of God says. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some of the men from the synagogue, synagogue of the freed slave, slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. Where they, uh, they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand up against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie. Sound familiar? It's what they did against Jesus. They persuaded men to lie about Stephen saying, he heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. Of course, that's totally untrue. They roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Now I'm going to cut to the end of the story. 
because uh, chapter 7, we're in chapter 6 now of Acts. Chapter 7 talks about Stephen's defense of himself in front of the Jews. It's a whole chapter long. It's 50-some verses, I think, so it's, it's a rather lengthy portion. But I'm going to take you to the end of it all, to the end of chapter 7. And what happened is now Stephen has been arrested, but now he is executed because of what he said to the uh, Jewish rulership. And it is here at his execution, at his stoning, that we're introduced to a man by the name of Saul. Saul. Now Saul is a zealous young Jew who hated the followers of Jesus. This same Saul, that is his Hebrew name, was also called Paul, which is his Greek name. And the reason he had two variations there is because he had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. So he was called Saul, and that's mostly what he went by. But he was also called Paul amongst the Greeks, all right? So this same Saul, who became later Paul, he would become the Apostle Paul eventually and would write over half of the New Testament. But at this particular point, he doesn't know Jesus. At this particular point, he's not serving God. And he is zealous to stamp out what he considers a false cult of Jesus followers. And so that brings us to the beginning part of Acts chapter 8. And it says here, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So we're talking about he's a witness to the killing, the stoning of Stephen. Um, and then a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house. you imagine that? You go to the door, they grab you and jerk you out, and you may be dead because it says that right here, dragging both men and women to throw them into prison and also to death. So Saul was so passionate about stamping out the church that he started what the Bible says is a great wave of persecution. In fact, uh, he even admitted that he did this, and this is where he talks about killing people, actually, in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, after he has, uh, has found Christ as his Savior, and he is now the Apostle Paul, he admits to what, to what he did before he knew the Lord. It says, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. Now, as I said earlier, it would have been great if, if uh, persecution would have ended with the arrest of John and Peter. Don't you guys do that anymore? And that was the end of it. But that's not the way it was. Persecution hounded the early church. In fact, persecution has hounded the church of Jesus Christ all along for the last 2,000 years. We tend to think of persecution as something that happened back in the book of Acts, that happened to Jesus, nailed him to a cross and all that. It was interesting to read that those who study these things, that there was more persecution against believers around the world in the 20th century 
which is, you know, from 1901 to, to the year 2000, there was more persecution of believers during that period of time, that one century, that one 100-year period, than the other 19 centuries combined. And we tend to think most of it took place, you know, early on, A.D. 30, A.D. 50, whatever. It took place 50 years ago. It was happening 25 years ago. And I believe that we're seeing an increase in persecution around the world today. If you were to ask me, do I believe that we will see persecution in the United States, my answer to you will be yes. To the degree that it comes, I don't know. I don't know whether it will be on the level of what we're seeing in some other parts of the world. But do I believe it's coming? Yes, I believe it's coming. We have had a wonderful uh, kind of cocoon of acceptance in the United States for the last couple hundred years, but that's diminishing. It's going away. In fact, not only is it, are we falling out of favor, we're actually being opposed to greater degrees than we ever have before. Now, persecution hounded the early church. It did not stop them, but it hounded them. And they had to learn to overcome the fear that is associated with persecution. Fear can be a, uh, can be a hard thing to deal with because it targets the mind. Fear distorts your mind. It creates an image in your mind about what is real. And that fear may be based on facts. Some some of what we fear actually does take place. It happens. But fear goes beyond actual facts and tempts us to focus on a false image of what might happen. The, the maybe that's out there. The what if that is out there. In fact, I once read a, a definition of fear, which I think is pretty good. It defines fear as... False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. It's false because it goes too far. It's false because it builds a false reality in the mind. It tells you something that isn't based on fact. We sing a song, I don't know if we sang it recently, but we've sang a song that said something up to the effect of, we, we have chosen to believe the report of the Lord, not the report of the world. The report of the world is a fearful report. The report of God is a faith-based report. And the world will try to impose its report upon your spirit. It, it will try to impose its false image upon your heart to defeat you. The enemy will use that to defeat you. You've got to choose which report you're going to believe. You see, persecution thrives in a culture or spirit of fear. That's why we call them terrorists. It's because they bring terror. It's because they bring fear. Not just by what they do, but by what they might do. A terrorist really doesn't have to do much of anything. He can do very little, but if he gets you to believing that he's going to do it to you, he's beat you 
whether he ever does it or not. He has beat you. Those early church believers had to deal with their fears of persecution because they were very real. They weren't unfounded. Stephen, in fact, was martyred. He was stoned to death. That was a fact. Saul was going from house to house, killing some, arresting others. That was real. But Satan's tactic is to always create an appearance, to make something look what it is not, to look worse than what it is. Persecution is very real in our world, yes. Many of our brothers and sisters have paid the ultimate sacrifice for their faith in Christ, but God is still moving. It can appear that the church is, is dwindling. It can appear that, that people are bailing out on God all over the It's not true. In fact, let me just give you a few facts. Do you know that every day, 20,000 plus believers are coming to Christ in the continent of Africa. Every single day where Boko Haram is killing people and, and where Al-Qaeda is active, still the church of Jesus Christ is growing and powerful and changing lives. In Asia, in Asia, it's 50,000 every single day are bowing their knee to Jesus Christ as Savior. There are currently, in the country of China where it is outlawed, some 60 to 80 million born-again believers, most of them Pentecostal believers, who are finding Christ, have found Christ, and because of their witness and testimony, some 10 to 25,000 new believers are being added to the church in China every single day of the year. Hallelujah. Well, if you're going to do it, do it. There you go. Do you know, you probably don't. That's why I'm going to tell you. 500 Muslims are giving their hearts to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior every month in, get this, Iran. They can't blow them up fast enough. They just keep, it just keeps growing. They can't persecute them fast enough. It just keeps growing. And Campus for Crusade for Christ reports that over 200 million people have now made decisions for Jesus Christ worldwide through the Jesus film that they have put out in multiple languages. And this is growing exponentially throughout the world. We are seeing a last day harvest in the midst of all of this persecution. And so you can look out on the horizon and you can look at the news and you can get this idea that the enemy is winning and everything's falling apart around us. Folks, I got news for you and I want to share some powerful news with you. So when you're facing opposition, when you're even facing persecution, perhaps, in your own life, I want to I give you three thoughts to remember. Number one, remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still moving in power throughout the world. That includes Salt Lake City, Utah. The power of the gospel still works even in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hallelujah. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed. This is the Apostle Paul who killed the 
the early Christians when he was Saul, now writing, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it still has the power to change lives even today in 2015. I don't know if that's in the, the scripture or not. It doesn't say 2015, but it's still true. It is still true. It's still the power of God until salvation for everyone who believes. Hallelujah. God's still working. The scriptures tell us that the word of God's still moving powerfully. People's lives are still being changed. The persecutors and, and the opposers can appear to be winning, but I want you to know all over the world it's Jesus and his church that's growing and winning. Yes, some of these souls are being saved in the blood, out of the bloodshed of the life of the martyrs for their testimony of Christ, but in spite of it all, Jesus is winning. I want you to know that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and neither should you be either, because it's still working. Hallelujah. It's still changing lives. It's still the power of God for salvation. The gospel still works. All over this room are people who the devil used up and the, and the world used up and the world gave up on, but not Jesus. Hallelujah. He sent the gospel to them and they found that it still is the power of God to save and to deliver and to heal. People who were lost in their sins and under such a, a heavy burden of guilt they thought they would never be free from in all of their life are today set free in relationship with God and are free from their addiction, they're free from their guilt, and they're free from their fear because of the power of the gospel that still works in 2015. That's why we proudly proclaim it in this church. That's why we won't give up in this church. The devil only offers you a trap. The devil only offers you an empty promise. Jesus offers you life, and he promised life more abundantly, and it still is working in 2015. So when you're under attack, don't forget the powerful promise that Jesus is still in charge. The power of his word still works, and God is changing lives throughout the world. You're one of a growing, growing number of victors in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the Lord that we serve. Don't forget it. And don't get so used to it that you grow, uh, you grow bored with it either. You keep the fire of that alive within your own spirit. Number two, remember that our battle is not against people. This is a hard one. This is the hardest thing I'm going to tell you this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against mighty powers, against evil spirits. There's a, there's a force out there that's behind everything that you see. So when you're rejected and when you're opposed or maybe even persecuted because of your faith, make sure you focus on the right enemy. This is really important. This is the hardest thing I'm going to say. It's the most important thing I'm going to say to you this morning. Our battle is not against people. The face of evil may be people. The face of evil may be a terrorist you see on TV or somebody who gives you problems at work or your neighbor or someone in your own home who opposes your faith or treats you terribly. But I want you to know they're not your real enemy. And the devil wants you to get to thinking they're your real enemy, but they're not. Saul of Tarsus appeared to be the enemy of the church, the enemy of those early Christian believers, 
but he wasn't. It was the power behind that. The power behind the evil is identified in, in Ephesians 6 in that scripture there as evil rulers and authorities of mighty powers, mighty powers, you know, evil spirits. This is the real power behind it. We're not talking about something, you know, when the world talks about evil, it's talking about an evil idea or an evil action. There is no recognition of a power behind the evil action. The reality is there's a power behind the evil reaction. That's the reason why evil is growing and not diminishing. That's why it's getting worse and more horrific. Why? It's because there are evil spirits, mighty evil spirits. They're at work behind this. And so this is so important that you understand this because I, w I, want, I want to make a statement to you and get it in your heart. If you make flesh and blood your enemy, you have already lost. If you make flesh and blood your enemy, I don't, yes, they hurt you. Yes, they did whatever. But if you make them your enemy, you have already lost. It's easy to make people your enemy. They're the face of evil in front of you. They're the ones who did it to you. You're angry at them. And Satan wants you to be angry at them, to make them your enemy, because he knows that if you do that, you lose. You're going to lose this war. But don't do it. If you do, you're fighting the wrong enemy. But if you don't, you can win. So God has called us as Christians to do two things against those who oppose us, reject us, or persecute us. Number one, you've got to bless those who hurt you, who oppose you, who persecute you. Bless them. Wow, what a statement. Jesus said it in Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Boy, I don't like that scripture at all. <laughs> I don't like that one at all. You know what I mean? Now, it's bad enough that you have to bless them, but he says do more than bless. He also says you have to love them. You mean the guy who sexually abused me when I was a kid? Yeah. You have to do good to them. I don't want to do good to them. You even have to pray for them. And that's a tall order for someone who's wounded you deeply. And I understand that because I've been wounded deeply too. I think it'll take the second step to pull off the first step. And the second step is this. Forgive those who persecute you and hurt you and reject you. You see it in the life of Jesus as he hangs on the cross and he pray, prays out, Father, forgive them. You see it even in Stephen here at the end of chapter 7. He's being stoned to death, but before the last stone hits and takes his life, he makes the statement in verse number 60, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And just as an aside here, it's interesting that as Jesus forgave from the cross, and nobody asked to be forgiven, by the way. He just did it. And he's hanging there in agony, and it's just before he dies, and he says, Father, forgive them. There's this crusty old hardened Roman soldier that's standing down there, and he hears the word of forgiveness. 
And what is his response? Surely this was the Son of God. A revelation comes to that man's heart. I don't know where that revelation took him because the Bible doesn't tell us, but something happened to that crusty old Roman who heard Jesus forgive. And interesting that when you go over here to Stephen forgiving as well, and uttering those words, that there's somebody standing by holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And he hears the words as Stephen says, Father, forgive them. Don't lay the charge of this sin against them. And as the scripture says, then he dies. And Saul hears those words. And it didn't impact him totally right then, which tells us about the power of seeds. When you plant good seeds in people's lives, it may not grow up immediately, but you hang on to it and you keep watering it. And you, know, you never know where it's going to take that person. And eventually the Apostle Paul is so dramatically touched, or I should say Saul is so dramatically touched by the power of God's forgiveness that he becomes the great Apostle Paul. You know, we think to ourselves, if I forgive them, then they're off the hook. But that's just not true. When you forgive, you're turning them over to the justice of God. Paul says in Romans 12, 19, never take revenge, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. As long as you don't forgive, vengeance is, on, is through you. And you can never do enough to pay them back for the hurt that they've done to you. In addition, it tears you up on the inside. You're the loser. But when you turn it over to Jesus, now he is the one in charge of making things right. And who knows, maybe that person will even come to Christ. I've got to hurry. Number three, I just want to leave you this. Remember that greater is he who is in you. Greater is the Holy Spirit in you. First John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have the victory. I said, you have the victory because of the spirit that's in you. Ephesians 6, 16 says, whatever the enemy can throw at you, you can, you can diminish, you can snuff out his fiery darts coming against you. Anything that he throws, those fiery darts, you can quench them by lifting up the shield of faith. You don't have to fear Satan because through Christ we have victory over him. He must submit to the name of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus working in your life. You don't have to be afraid of what is happening in the world. You and I have power in the name of Jesus over the working of the enemy. But never forget this. For that to happen in your life, you've got to win the battle in your mind. You've got to win the battle in your soul because the battle is always won on the inside before it is won on the outside.
You understand what I'm saying? You will have won it in here before it will ever show up out here. That's the way it works. David beat Goliath in here before he ever stopped or stepped out onto the battlefield. And that's the reason he beat him out there. That's the key. You've got to see yourself as a winner. You've got to see yourself as God's victor. You've got to see yourself as an overcomer. Get an overcoming spirit deep within you. Quit, quit whining about all the unsaved people at work and how they act. Of course they act that way. They're not saved. Start seeing yourself as there as God's light in a darkness. Quit whining about your neighborhood. See yourself as God's light in the darkness. Quit whining about your pastor. Start seeing yourself as God's light in this church. Hallelujah. Then you can face whatever the enemy throws at you with confidence. So don't let false evidence appearing real control you. Get a fresh vision of who Jesus is. Get a fresh vision of the power of his spirit. Come on, church, living within you and flowing through you into the world. And then declare your victory. Declare it in the face of the enemy. Don't make the enemy bigger than he already is. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Let's stand and give him praise this morning. Here at Live Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to LifeChurchUtah.com.